gonna we're gonna start. Father, thank you so much for allowing me to be uh, a part of this amazing group of people. Uh, those who are here for the first time will hear truth, and they'll sense that we are family. And I, I hope they catch the heart of all of that. Uh, thank you for what you're accomplishing. Please give us ears to hear, a heart to know and love you, to be honest with you and honest with ourselves. Uh, teach us right now, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, is the Catholic Church a cult? Uh, the answer is no. They are not a cult, and they are not a cult because they essentially adhere to the core Christian doctrines uh, of mainline evangelical Christianity. For example, uh, there's not a Catholic that I'm aware of who will deny that Jesus Christ is in fact Lord and Savior or who would deny that Jesus Christ died on the cross as payment for our sins. They believe those core, those core teachings, those core doctrines. Uh, they believe in the authority of Scripture. Now their canon adds some extra uh, books. They're called the Apocrypha and they're not in the, the Protestant canon of Scripture or index. But they believe in the basic core doctrines of heaven, hell, Jesus Christ is the mediator. Uh, for Protestants, though, the difficulty comes when you hear words like vicar and the pope, and you begin to you know, get in your head that the pope is a substitution for Jesus Christ, and when you hear those things, you think, oh, that sounds like a cult, but not necessarily so. Uh, my daughter, Andrea, and her husband, Justin, they're studying at uh, University of Durham, at their church, which is an Anglican church, uh, they just uh, have a new senior pastor, only his title is vicar, okay? And it literally means, vicar means in place of, okay? What we need to know as Protestants is it doesn't mean equal to. The Pope is not Jesus Christ. Vicar does not mean equal to. It simply means in place of, all right? That's all that it means. And so, uh, does the church give the Pope extreme authority? Absolutely. Absolutely. And he can speak in Latin, it's called ex cathedra, which means from the throne, from the cathedral, and speak with great authority. Now, do I agree with everything that Catholic doctrine holds? Absolutely no. Absolutely no. Uh, I, I have no desire to go back and become a, a Catholic. Uh, they do get some things right. And quite frankly, some things we could take lessons from. They really do. Uh, is the house of God a place of reverence? You bet it is. And sometimes we think it's just a, a, a gymnasium with a little Jesus sprinkled on it. We could learn some things about reverence. We can learn lots and lots of things from the Catholics. And they could learn some things from us, right? And so uh, across the board, I would not classify them as, as a cult. Uh, do I agree with everything they say? Absolutely no. Uh, I don't agree with most everybody, for that matter, when it comes to things. You know, I, I'm, I'm so judgmental, I can find something wrong with about anything, you know. So uh, I'm that picky. But uh, let's muscle in now on relationships. This is a great question. And by the way, again, let me, let me tell you, if you have a question that's sensitive, let me know if, if it's uniquely sensitive and, and requires age-appropriate uh, audience, let me know. We'll, we'll make sure that we um, add staff in the children's nursery area, and we'll we'll have a very adult conversation here. So, all right. Yes. 
Yeah, and so here's how I understand it. Uh, Carla, and Carla comes from a Catholic background too, by the way. Um, as I understand it, and I certainly have not been to a Catholic seminary, but the seven sacraments, okay, are, how do I word this well? Carla, they are traditions that formed hundreds and hundreds of years ago that have become so entrenched that we see them as though they're actual criteria by which we determine whether or not we can enter the kingdom of God. Okay. For example, one of the sacraments is actually marriage, by the way. And you even have what's called the extreme unction, which is one of the last sacraments, which is a ritual that is performed during the death process on the deathbed, right? But I don't know of a Catholic, personally, or a priest, who would have such a hard-nosed position that if I sat down with him and I, and I pinned him down and said, look, I want a yes or no answer. If I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and I give him my heart and I believe in him, am I going to heaven or hell? I don't know of a priest that would say you're doomed to hell because you didn't take the Eucharist or something like that. Uh, and here's the rub. Here's the, the tension, Carla. That, that just like Christ... Christ Church, here we have a culture. There's a culture at Pleasant Valley, Church of Christ. There's a culture at, at uh, Little Rock First Baptist or, or Emmanuel. Religions form culture, right? And the Catholic Church is a very strong, dominant culture. And in that culture, things begin to happen and things evolve. And we are, we are trained to not question it. And sometimes it can get to a point where we assume some things. So uh, I challenge every one of you to dig deep on this one. Uh, uh, if you have any Catholic friends, take them out for coffee and, and say, hey, let's talk. Let's talk Catholic doctrine. Let's talk. Really encourage you to do it. Now, this is my understanding, Carla, and I do not. There are some people, um, Hank Hanegraaff. I'm going to drop some names. I can't fact check it, so be patient. There, there are some people who will automatically drop the Catholic Church into cult status. I don't. Uh, I don't do that. Um, uh, there are there are those that would. Uh, yes, sir. So the danger that so many of these discussions face is something that Frank, as a law officer, uh, Officer Pope, you guys face this too. It, it's us against them. That's why Facebook is fodder for everything. I hate your guts. I'm right. You're wrong. Right. right. So. In these discussions, you don't very often have the high thinking, as you say, where we can stop and have some, you know, have coffee with someone who views religion differently than we view Christianity. Mm -hmm. And so the danger is, you know, wanting to distill it down, funnel it down to its basis. You feel this way, I feel this way. I'm right, you're wrong. We're done. And there's nowhere in, in the New Testament where that's really what we're trying to do. Exactly. Now, we get off track when we go through our Old Testament where, where Jehovah was trying to instill in his people 
a difference. To remind them, for generations, you are to be set apart. Mm-hmm. But the, so, so the danger is us being weak in our faith and looking for an easy way out, an easy way to hit a button, you know, turn off their torch, whatever it is, so we don't have to deal with them and agree on seven points and disagree on 13. Mm-hmm. Whatever, you know, whatever the numbers yeah. Yeah. match out. Yeah. We just need to be more mature right. in our faith and, and know that we can get further yeah. um, coming alongside them sure. than, than we ever would just Accusing. Yeah, there may be far more common ground than we realize, is what I'm saying. That's all. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there, are, there are church denominations and things like immediately classified as a cult, the Moonies, uh, Unitarian Universalism. I think it's absolutely a cult, there's no doubt. Anything that denies Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, in other words, anything that moves away from Him being the way, the truth, and the life automatically goes into the cult category of me. It's instantly. I don't care if they get everything else right. If they get that one wrong, immediately cult status. Does that make sense? Yeah. What do you think about Scientology? Uh, very, similarly the same thing, but it's not necessarily a religion so much as it is uh, a mental kind of way of life. Tom Cruise being the, the kind of the poster child for that one. So, you know. Um, this is good, Colby. Thank you for what you brought up about interaction with people, because this is really what it's about. Okay, so let's switch over. Let's switch gears to Christians and non-Christians, and this is a sensitive issue. Should we, as Christians, have friends who are non-Christians? Yes. And by the way, this is this. In case you're here for the first time, this is in response to a, to an invitation to ask me questions. All right. We are normally exegeting Romans on Sunday mornings and John on Wednesday night. But I wanted to, to give you guys a chance to, to do, a, hey, I get to ask my pastor a question time, which is really fun. I love it. <clears throat> so, and for example, should a Christian have an acquaintance? I work out at the gym. I make a friendship with somebody. We're very, very different people. And we believe that, that you know, this guy, there's no spiritual compatibility. He's an atheist. I'm a committed Christian. And, you know, we're, we're very, very different people. Should I just keep my relationship with him uh, as an acquaintance? Should I keep it at that level? Or should I try to make him my best friend? Is there a line? What's the criteria between uh, my friendships uh, with, with believers and non-believers? So here's what I've done. I have dug in the scriptures. I've spent lots of hours and so I want to encourage you to take some notes, okay? We're going to, we're going to dig into a lot of scripture, and I want you to get this. Uh, the Lord said, hey, Chris, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take these texts, and I want you to organize them out on four columns. And so the first column is this, the scriptures that command us to avoid non-believers. The scriptures that command us to avoid non-believers uh, Exodus 23.2, you shall not go with a crowd or a mass to do things that are evil. Uh, Numbers 33.55, you are to separate from the pagan nations that, uh, in the, the land that I'm putting you because if you don't cleanse the land of these pagan people and their pagan religions, you are going to uh, be influenced by them. 
And then one of the most famous passages is about a Solomon in 1 Kings 11. And in this text, it's a story about Solomon and all of his wives. Can anybody give me the quick version? What happened through all of his marriages? What did, they, what did those wives bring to Solomon? Their own, religion. Their own religions. And by bringing all of those people, all those religious cultic, uh, religious systems to Solomon because of his devotion. A lot of these marriages, by the way, were political marriages. All right? Literally political that if I marry the daughter of the king of this foreign nation, we won't be at war with each other. And so there are a lot of political marriages, not necessarily our ideas, American ideas of romantic marriages, those kinds of things. They're political marriages. But in doing that, uh, it would require that he would have to honor her gods. And so they would bring pagan gods into Israel's borders, set up temples, set up cultic shrines and things to honor her, her deities, and in that, you immediately create spiritual cancer. You bring in a disease, a spiritual moral disease, into the borders of Israel, and it led to the downfall of Solomon. So are there scriptures that command us to avoid non-believers? Yes. Yes. Uh, let, me, uh, let me walk through all the columns because there's so much scripture here. What about, are the scriptures that command us to seek relationships with non-believers? Yes. Yes. One of the most famous being Matthew 28. Go into all the world, make disciples of all people groups, all ethnic groups from all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to be my followers. That's, that's like the big one, right? Another big one, Matthew 5, 16. You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So we have scriptures that say avoid non-believers. We have scriptures that say seek them out. Okay? For example, there was a religious movement, uh, Colby, that started like in the second century, particularly third century, called monasticism. You should already get a clue on, on what monastic thought is. What does it hint at? The monastery. The monastery. Hide. Go away. Isolate. You know, the only way for you to really be pure is to go to a monastery and, and hide. Be an ascetic. Don't be in the world. And, and there was a time when the church thought that's how you do holiness. Radical and complete separation. But the scriptures do say it, it's implied that we actually have relationships with non-believers. Next column, we should avoid Christians. Some of you are grinning, like, well, I learned that a long time ago. <laughs> the Christian been driving me nuts for years. So, <laughs> hey, man, bro. So, but, you know, there are just some Christians that are really dangerous. Do you know that? They're really dangerous people. Wow. Wow, that's a lot of scripture, by the way, right? That's a lot. We'll look at some of them. And then, but it also says that we should seek Christians. We should seek them out. One of the most famous texts being Hebrews. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So I've highlighted, uh, by the way, if you want to take a snapshot of all of those scriptures, now would be a good time to do it. And I'll click back to it a little bit later. 
Uh, I can include these scriptures also uh, on the website if you want to, to have reference to them. By the way, this is not exhaustive. There is more. There are more scriptures available. But for, for our sake, I was laughing with talking to Justin Allison yesterday. and said, Justin, I get 30 minutes and I need three hours, so I've got to do the best I can. But there's actually many more scriptures. But these are kind of the heavyweight passages. So let's look at the ones that I've highlighted. And uh, hopefully this can, uh, can give us some, some perspective. So the scripture is about avoiding non-believers. Look at this. This is really interesting. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? That's a great question. What do we have in common? And at this text, we're going to say, not much. Except that we're all made in the image of God. You might start there. But what really does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? When he says temple, he's referring to your body. And that's, by the way, plural. Our bodies. We as the bride of Christ. Our bodies collective. What do we have to do with idols? We don't. There is no point of commonality. For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. By the way, that's a very Old Testament idea. Uh, Marlon, I'm not sure about the religious culture in Brazil, but in Israel, there were many, many gods. Consider the Psalms. When the psalmist says, you are a God above all gods. Doesn't it say that in the scriptures? Doesn't it? Sure does. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You are God above all gods. Well, in Israel, there were lots of gods to choose from. And in all the Semitic people groups, the Arab people groups, the Palestinians, there's lots of gods to choose from. Lots of them. And you could worship a, a whole host of them. But when Yahweh shows up and creates his people group and literally births this people group known as Israel, Yisrael, God fights for this people, Yisrael, to fight for, to contend with, El is God, Yisrael, the people group that God's going to fight for, Israel. When God gave birth to Israel, God says, you're to have no other gods before me. I am your God. Does this make sense? And so you can hear Old Testament theology coming out in Paul. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I've got an exclusive relationship. No other gods before me. Therefore, look at this idea. Here's isolation, separation, Colby. Therefore, come out from among their midst, these pagan people groups, and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And yet, Matthew 28, seek non-believers. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. How in the world can you isolate and separate and yet win ethnic groups to Jesus Christ? 
at the same time. How do you do that? Because if, if we're not careful, this is a radical contradiction. I, of course, it's not, but it appears to be at first blush, right? Absolute avoidance, insulation, isolation, separation. And yet Matthew says you've got to get involved in the lives of people that are not Christian, and you've got to help them discover that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. It's discerning the radical unbelief and the acceptable unbelief. Help me to know what you mean. So, say... Um, a radical non-believer is someone who banishes all other thoughts and beliefs. Mm -hmm. But then you have an acceptable non-believer who accepts different religions but chooses not to embrace embrace them. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. what if avoid the non-believers is saying avoid avoid the radicals and seek them yeah. is to yeah. find yeah. the ones that could be accepted. I think you're on to something. Yeah. In other words, you can't talk to someone that refuses to talk. So if there's someone that would welcome a cup of coffee and a dialogue about whether Islam, you know, Allah of Islam is the one true God, or Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one true God, let's talk about it. And if there's willing to have a good, a good, heady conversation, sure, I think it's great. But there's some that say, no way, no way. So, so there's tension here, all right? Now look at the next one. What about Christians that we should avoid? And there's lots of scriptures here. If anyone comes to you, now think of it this way. If a guest comes into Christ's church, this is a plural you, plural pronoun. If anyone come, comes into all y'all's church, and that's Greek, believe it or not, that's pure Greek. If anyone comes to all y'all's church, no kidding, and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house. And do not even give him a greeting. Do not give him the greeting. The greeting in the earliest church would be maybe a kiss, the holy kiss. It would be a handshake. It would be literally saying, Christ is in me, he's in you. We are brother, sister. He said, do not do that. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. Wow. Someone brings a foreign teaching and, and says, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus Christ is one of the ways to God. There's maybe a dozen more. I just happen to know a few more, and I just want to share those with you in church on Sunday, because here at Christ Church, people get to talk. And at that point, if we greet this person, we have just endorsed and, and uh, approve of pagan cultic teaching. So John says, don't even greet this guy. Don't even greet him. And boy, there's lots of scriptures that support that. Let me give you a few more, because this is, this is serious business. Paul writes in Romans 16, Brothers, keep your eye on those in church who cause dissensions. There are troublemakers in church. They just like to stir it up. Those who cause dissensions and hindrances, contrary to the teaching which you've learned, turn away from them. For such men, women are slaves to, their, to themselves not of Jesus Christ, but to their own appetites. Uh, this is powerful. 1 Corinthians 5. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. Not to associate with immoral people. Now, if you stop there, you go, aha, Paul says separate. But he corrects it. He says, I did not at all mean with immoral people of the world or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters. 
For then you would have to go out of the world. You'd have to be dead. <laughs> you'd, have to be, you'd have to leave planet Earth to get away from immoral people. He said, actually, I wrote to tell you, do not associate with a so-called Christian brother or sister if they are immoral or covetous or an idolater or revile or a drunkard or a swindler. In fact, don't even eat with such a person. Don't even eat with them. Wow. Now, how's that for a standard in church? Make sense? Paul, and Paul says this, for what do we, what does the church have to have business judging outsiders? It's not our place to judge and critique the, the moral behaviors of non-believers. In other words, it's none of our business to bring moral judgment on, on an unbelieving world. Where does the moral judgment fall, Colby? Right here. Right here. This is where the moral ethics and the moral judgment code is carried out. Right here. Right? Think of it this way. The woman caught in adultery, which is a complete scam. It was a total setup. Okay, why did the guy get away? Where, where, where's that guy? It was a total setup. But what did Jesus say to the woman? Where are your accusers? And she said, I, I don't see them. She said, I don't accuse you either. But then what does he say? Go and sin no more. There it is. Grace and truth. So there's lots of scriptures that deal with the idea of separation. Uh, how about this one? This is, this is a verse that you should have marked in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 15.33. Can anybody quote it? Just off the top of your heart? Come on, Mason. What's that? Absolutely. Edie nails it. 1 Corinthians 15. It says, don't be deceived... Bad company corrupts good morals. By the way, Edie, some trivia. Uh, a Greek poet actually said that before Paul did. Paul's quoting, this, how's that for, for irony? Paul is quoting a secular Greek poet who made that famous statement. That a good man who spends time with bad people becomes a bad man. His name is Menander, by the way. Menander is his name. So I think it's cool that Paul quotes him. It really is. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Okay? What about seeking Christians? Look at Hebrews 10, 30, or 23. This is back on the screen. This is beautiful. Uh, again, plural pronouns. Let all y'all hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. <coughs> For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's lots of scriptures that can be kind of organized and, and categorized in these, in these uh, four columns that I told you about. The scriptures that we are to avoid non-believers. We're to seek out non-believers. We're to avoid certain Christians, uh, the radical, troublemaking Christian who's a hypocrite. You know, I don't want a drunk with his whiskey-laden breath in my face advising me on the, the virtues of being sober. <laughs> no. Uh-uh. 
When you sober up, let's have a conversation. But meanwhile, I don't want to hear about your expertise on self-control and sobriety while you're out of your mind drunk. No, we'll, we'll save that conversation for a different day. Okay? Um, and then we're to seek Christians. As I'm fond of saying, we really need each other. You know what we really do to grow, to mature, uh, for this ongoing life, kind of self-correcting uh, thing that we do at Christ Church, where you hold me accountable. This pulpit is not anything goes pulpit. Okay? I submit myself to you to open accountability. Rather than, than the traditional way of doing it, I think we're doing it the way that Paul envisioned, and by, by having this open accountable forum, it saves, it saves me dealing with the stress of you having fried Chris Perry for lunch. Right? You know exactly what I'm talking about. What do you think about what he said on Sunday morning? Where there's no checks and balances, there's no open accountability, no open conversations, and all of a sudden bitterness and rumor and scandal forms over something that may have been just a slip of the lip from an old man. Or, or maybe, quite frankly, I just got it wrong. I don't know everything. And I need you. We need each other. So we, we seek non-believers. We avoid certain non-believers. We avoid certain Christians. We seek out Christians. All right, so I want to give you some principles. And then I want you to, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you for your, your counsel. All right, number one. Please write these down or uh, it'll, it'll be recorded on the website. Number one, how do you reconcile these four columns of scripture? How do you reconcile it? By the way, quick comment, a big mistake is going to be that you run to your favorite column of scriptures. <laughs> now we got problems, Houston. Well, I'm just the avoidance type, and so I've got a chip on my shoulder, and I can find something wrong with anything, anyone, any church, and so I'm the avoidance group. I'm in that group. Okay, I got it, uh, but you know, you got three other columns, <laughs> and you can't do your, your hunting, your, your cut and paste Bible. You know, highlight the ones you like and, and, and delete the ones you don't like. That's not how you handle God's word. Okay? You've got to reconcile all of it. And you've got to integrate it. And by the way, that's hard work. So if you're going to integrate this, because we're not Old Testament people. We're people of the New Covenant. But how do you integrate it and make sense out of it? Here we go. Ready? Number one, please write this down. We must acknowledge that we have a command to be pure. We are commanded to be pure. And what I mean by that is spiritually and morally strong. That's what I mean by purity. We are commanded from both the Old Testament and the New Testament perspective. We are commanded by God to be people who are pure. And that means spiritual and moral purity. Okay? Meaning by that, in case you need the, the, the blunt statement, we can't be chasing after idols, spiritual impurity, chasing after moral corruption, a kind of pornographic way of doing life, and call ourselves obedient Christians. Can't do it. There's no reconciliation between light and darkness. You don't reconcile those things. We are commanded to be pure. 
Purity is, in case you're wondering, (laughs) purity is the imitation of Jesus Christ through the finished work of Christ on the cross by his blood, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Please listen to this. What is purity? It is the imitation of Jesus Christ through his finished work on the cross with the power of the Holy Spirit. That is purity. Purity is God's will for all Christians. No exceptions. Purity is God's will for all Christians. For example, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger and all these things, just as we also told you before solemnly warning you, God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but holiness. God has called us to holiness. 1 Peter 1.16, Behold, it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. Purity is the will of God for all people. And you know that purity has everything to do with your relationships. Everything to do. Make sense? Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Secondly, not only are we commanded to be pure, we are commanded to be missional. We are commanded to be missional. Okay? Am I making sense by the word missional? Missionary, we've got a mission purpose. We have something to do, something to say. Christians who walk in purity are the light of the world. Christians who walk in purity of the light of the world, please pay attention to this statement. Therefore, social isolation isn't God's plan for the spiritually and morally strong. Do you understand? Social isolation is not God's plan for the spiritually and morally strong. Okay? What does it mean to be missional? Three quick comments. It means modeling the values of Jesus Christ. Modeling the values of Jesus Christ. It means, secondly, to talk about him. You've got to bring up the name Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? You can't be embarrassed to speak his name in public places. Like there's some kind of taboo by saying the name Jesus. We've got to talk about Jesus and his kingdom. Third, we, and this is the hard part, here's the rub. Please pay attention. We've got to be spiritually and morally in control in these social situations. For example, I can't fact check this. If I could get into a TARDIS police phone booth and and go back in time, I would video record the event and then play it for you next Sunday. But I just have this hunch 
Colby, that when Jesus Christ was hanging out with the drunks, hanging out with the tax collectors, hanging out with the prostitutes, hanging out with the liars and the thieves, guess what stopped happening? Thieving, prostituting, yep. stealing. Yep. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, those yeah, we can't we can't historically fact check it. So if we're typical Facebook thinking people, then we have nothing to base our lives on. Oh, I can't fact check. It's not on Facebook. <laughs> High feeling, low thinking. Come on, come on. High feeling, low thinking. Let's reverse it. Let's go. High thinking, low feeling. Let's do that. The fact is, those people were converting. They became followers of Jesus Christ. The drunk stopped being drunk. The tax collector stopped tax collecting taxes. Now that's an idea. I like that one. <laughs> the prostitutes stopped prostituting. The liars stopped lying. The thieves stopped stealing. And they, began to, they, became, they became followers of Jesus Christ. That's the idea. You know, we, we say, well, can I go to a drinking party, uh, you know, graduation, high school, or college drinking party, and can I be light in a dark world? Can I just kind of set the example? Well, yeah, for about five minutes, maybe. <laughs> Till everyone's so lit, they have no idea what's going on, and you think you're having an example when you're not at all. Don't be deceived. <laughs> Bad company corrupts good morals, and... Uh, and, and by the way, for a lot of, for a lot of the, the, the non-believers, it's pretty fun to watch a Christian fall. Did you know that? Pretty fun to watch, a, to bring a Christian down. Pretty fun. And they'll do it. They'll make it happen. Here, just one drink, just one drink. Hey, how you doing? Talk to me. How you doing? Have a beer. You know, just get it started. Loosen it up a little bit. If it's some medical folk here, you know, all you got to do is drink some alcohol and you put the front lobes to sleep. Ventral medial prefrontal cortex, orbital medial prefrontal cortex goes to sleep, and all of a sudden, common sense is gone. <laughs> Front lobes are sleeping. It's called, you've been anesthetized, by the way, is what's happened. You're put to sleep in the front lobes, and, but the primal part of your brain, midbrain, Alive and well. <laughs> yeah, let's put the lampshade on her head, some soda straws up her nose and dance. That'd be fun. Let's go midbrain. Yay! No checks and balances. I mean, it's fun to bring a Christian down. It's a show. We're commanded to be missional, but that means when you are in those missional situations, you're in control. Third, we are commanded to protect the spiritually and morally weak. Make sense? In review, we're commanded to be pure. Number two, we're commanded to be missional. And number three, we're commanded to protect the spiritually and morally weak. For example, uh, Dr. Michelle Critella, MD, pediatrician, uh, had, had submitted a peer-reviewed article on transgender ideology being talked about and, and pumped into the hearts and the heads of little children. And do you know what she classified that dynamic as? Child abuse. Child abuse. Child abuse. There are, listen, little children don't have the front lobes. The VMOMPFC I talked about, front lobes, smart part of your front lobes. 
that, that's, that's, that material doesn't mature until your 30s, early 30s, late, late 20s for some. Really doesn't mature. And you're giving moral information to children that do not have the capacity to even begin to process what they're told. And we as Christians are obligated to protect the, the spiritually and morally weak from information that the pagan, the lost world is pumping out in mass. There is a time to isolate and insulate, and that is one of them. All kinds of research on children who are exposed to violence on TV at an early age, it predisposes them to aggressive behaviors as adults, especially when it's same-sex identification. So the little boy sees the big, tough, handsome man smashing things and blowing things up and shooting things with a million rounds, and the little boy identifies with the older adult male, and, and that action predisposes him to become a violent, a, a violent, aggressive adult, male. Just like the girl, little girl attaches to the older woman. Okay. This is fact-based information. You can check it if you'd like. It includes also uh, exposing children to sexuality, concepts of human sexuality, sexual situations, innuendos, double entendre, which is loaded up on primetime TV. And in movies such as Despicable Me, 1, 2, and 3, there's an, it, it's all there. If you'll get eyes to see it and ears to hear it, it's all laced in, in, in seasoned in Despicable Me and other movies like that, including issues of alcohol use, exposing kids to that predisposing them to engage in, in moral behaviors they cannot handle when they're entering into adolescence. All right, so how do you reconcile these four columns of, of Scripture as a Christian? You reconcile them by, number one, realizing you're commanded to be pure, realizing you're commanded to be missional, but you're going to be effective in being missional when you are the strong. Okay, if you're weak... Entering in a situation like this, you're not going to be able to handle it. The lost people are going to bring you down. You know the law of gravity? You know the law of gravity, right? Pretty powerful, isn't it? Unless you're real strong and you can break the force of moral gravity, they're going to pull you down. You are not going to pull them up. One of the things I've told my daughters from their earliest age, I would tell them that they are powerful and they have the ability to make moral choices. And I would tell them, look, you can step down morally anytime you want. And you can get on their level and you can engage in any behavior you want. And you can get on your ministry back. You can get on their level. Guess what? And when you do, you can't step back up. You can't. You can go down anytime you want to. Doesn't matter. See, come back. But you can't get back up. And I said, you do your dead level best to reach down and pull them up to your level. Do not let them pull you down. Do not. So let me wrap it up by, by saying this. We as Christians are to be missional. We are to commit ourselves to being the salt of the, the earth, the light of the world. We're committed to to uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus and welcome people. Yes, yes, yes. But, quote unquote, if your relationships with non-believers 
maintain a spiritual... If, I'm sorry, let me start again. If your relationships with non-believers can maintain moral integrity, spiritual integrity, continue to be missional, do it. Have meaningful, deep relationships. Be the missionary to the lost friends. Do it, do it, do it, do it. But if they are creating in you spiritual and moral weakness, then you must pull back. You must seek isolation, social isolation, at least for a time, until you can regain some spiritual and moral muscle. We live in the tension between don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals, and you are the light of the world. Let men see your light and glorify your, your Father in heaven. So, a final thought. You might, some of you men here, you might see yourself as being just Iron Man. You're just tough. And you're morally strong and spiritually strong. Just because you are doesn't mean your wife is. And just because you, you're, you and your wife are strong doesn't mean your children are strong. Therefore... There are certain people and certain programs that do not need to be in your home. Make sense? Okay. There's got to be a safe place. All right. There is tension for a Christian to live out the command to be pure, the command to be missional, and the command to protect. To not be deceived, bad company can pull us down. That includes pastors, church staff, doesn't matter who it is. Anybody can be pulled down. Gravity is gravity. Okay? It's powerful. I got a question for you, Chris. Yes. What if um, a Christian, you know they're a Christian, sure. is pulled down and he comes to you? What do you do with it? I mean, say a preacher went to drinking for one night or for one wild weekend. He saw a Disney How movie. Do you handle that? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, oh, 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 no, I've got lots of stories about it, yeah. In fact, tell you what, let's just jump right into it, okay? I'm going to turn this over to you. You're the gifted body of Christ. At Christ Church, we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit, that if you're born again, the Holy Spirit is inside of you, and that you are gifted by a spirit. So there may be someone here this morning that's going to speak rather prophetically, or there's going to be someone here that's going to speak words of mercy, because maybe there's somebody here that you're so morally beat up. You're, you're so down on the floor that you think you'll never get up. You can't recover from the moral bondage that you're in. Maybe you need to hear some words of mercy. Maybe some encouraging things. Some discerning words. So we're going to take ownership of this. But in response, I, 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 know, I have a friend at a church. And he had, a, he had what I would consider to be a small-scale moral stumble. Very small scale. And that church came down on him like thunder and lightning, immediate fired, immediately fired, and gone. Kicked out the door. Is that how the body of Christ should treat a church staff member or anybody for that matter? And I think the answer is no. That there must be, should be, some system in place where we can counsel, nurture, Love, heal, and, and a plan of restoration uh, should have been in place, and there wasn't. And it has brought irreparable damage in, the, in, in that man's life. Now, in my mind, the church committed the greater sin. By far, they committed the greater sin than he did. All right, you're the gifted body of Christ. Now listen, we don't want to hear the counsel of fools. 
This is not about shooting our mouths off. Or will I, will I think or will I feel? No. If you're going to function in the, in the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit, then you're going to speak as though he is speaking through you. Make sense? So if we're going to take ownership of this as a church and really take discipleship seriously, and we're going to live out the command of purity, and we're going to live out the command to be missional, and live out the command to protect, then I ask the question, you as the body of Christ, how do we do it? What do you say? John? Okay. Um, I had this, since you've been talking, I've had this story I really want to share about. Um, a really dear friend of mine, um, since we were talking about the Catholic Church and this and that, because um, I like to just let relationships that I have with people be like my answer to that. And I have a dear friend that lives in Benton that I got to work for her. Uh, her name's Taffy. She's not only a Catholic, she's a saint in the Catholic Church. Like, she's super high up, I think, as far as a woman can get in the Catholic Church. They might know Catholic Council. Well, anyway, she is a saint. She's super cool. Uh, I got to spend three months working in her house, like remodeling her master bathroom. And uh, we got to know each other and appreciate each other in our faith. So every morning she would stop me whatever points of the day she would want to just have a cup of coffee with me chat because we enjoyed each other's company so much. Uh, and there was no debate, zero debating who was right, who was wrong. It was all hard. And by the time that job was over, it was like I didn't want to leave. I just had this amazing friend in the Lord. And her value on Jesus was the same as mine. She had a whole lot of other folks she prays to, but it didn't offend me. Um, I wasn't there to give her answers. And she wasn't in my life to give me answers. But she had a son that was troubled and like confused in his life, and he's about my same age. And, uh, she asked me to love on him and seek out a relationship mm -hmm. with him. Uh, we would pray for her son while we drank coffee. She would pay, pray with me for my brother Uh, one of my favorite authors of all time, top five authors, is Brennan Manning. Mm -hmm. Brennan Manning. Catholic. Um, totally Catholic. And, you know, he said, like, when someone asked him, why are you in the Catholic Church? And he said something to the fact that, you know, it's the only church that has the historical integrity to be trusted or something along those lines. Yeah. Well, so it's not about... When Jesus is made alive in us, and it doesn't matter what you think you are, you're just a Christian. You're a son of God. And I actually have one more story just because it happened this morning. I got to call some friends of mine that came all the way out of Vermont to help me cut the timber rack on my house. And Skip and Elizabeth, they actually stayed with Lee and Edie. And they are not Christian. But when they were at our home for two weeks, we got to fellowship together and the conversations that we would have in the evening uh, were just amazing. I mean, there were times when we were all in tears just crying about troubles that we've had in our life and family and struggles and suffering that we've gone through. Um, but this 
they're like, John, it's 940, aren't you supposed to be in church? They love me and I love them and we, we appreciate each other so much. And, you know, I think, Chris, that it's about just letting our light shine before men. I mean, yes. it's not about debating. You don't have to pre-plan what your conversation is going to be like with a non-believer. You just let the Holy Spirit speak and live and dwell in you. And they will be drawn to the light in you. Mm-hmm. I always like to have a non-believer working for me. Yeah. It seems like every yeah. time I do, they're not yeah. a non-believer very long. Yeah. <laughs> and, and John, that's the point. Everybody turn to 1 Corinthians 10, 27. John, you'll appreciate this. 1 Corinthians 10, this has kind of got your name on it in reverse. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. This is Paul's advisement for the church. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. If one of the unbelievers invites you and you want to go, eat anything that is set before you without asking questions for conscience sake. The fact is there is, there is a time when a non-believer may invite you for coffee. Go. Go. Be mission. If you're strong. Michelle, you were going to say something, sweetie? Yes. And so, if you've been through something similar, it was not exactly the same thing with the other time in my life. And yeah. Brought me back from this thing and was drawn in my faith to see mm-hmm. grace mm-hmm. abound more than whatever depth we felt we were mm-hmm. 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 That's so good, Michelle. Now, perhaps about 90% of us have no idea what she just said <laughs> because she has the <laughs> softest, sweetest voice. Let me translate real quick. This is what she said. That in the same way that God treats us with mercy and grace, we should treat outsiders with mercy and grace. In other words, it's not about the laws and the rules and, and forcing them to particular compliance. It's a matter of getting them connected with a relationship with Jesus Christ, similar to what John just said. Someone else, directly to, to this, Lee, and then you, Brother Lee. Um, Big Dave and I went down to Baton Rouge about a year ago with Samaritan's Purse, and they give you an orange t-shirt to wear while you work and serving others. One thing you do before you go out to serve is you have to sign a statement of faith. So I would say it's, it's critical that you know what you believe. Yes. You be grounded in that. They don't judge it. If you can't sign this, that's fine. We'll find you a place to serve. You know, but they don't take that and say, okay, you need to sign this statement of faith before we will serve you. Mm-hmm. The servers need to know what they believe, why they believe, because they have a hospital in Iraq. I'm sure that those are not all just Christians that are coming to that hospital to be served. But you know, the servers need to know what they believe, why they believe it, and be secure in that. And mm-hmm. It was interesting to me because 
we were on staff with Campus Crusade, we had to do the very same thing. And there's there's a the statement of faith will evolve as the culture evolves because you have to take stands that the culture is now blending lives. So there's in the, the statement of faith now is do you do you believe that marriage is between a man and a woman? Yes. And I guarantee yeah. you that was not a campus crusade for Christ statement of faith twenty five years ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is in, exactly. It is in there now. Yeah. First yeah. yeah. You may have seen the press on Eugene Peterson. Anybody see that? Raise your hand. I'm talking about Eugene Peterson. Yeah, he's the man that uh, did a paraphrase translation. Actually, it's pretty good at spots called the Message. But he was recently. Uh, uh, it was presented that he had a completely non-biblical view of marriage and a, and a relationship between one man, one woman for life. And then he, re- and he, he retracted some things. So, yeah, if you, listen, if we can't settle right and wrong, how are we going to be strong and morally and spiritually strong in, in this world? If inside the church it's anything goes, just don't talk about it. Keep it quiet. Anything goes. How are we going to be the light, the salt of the earth, and light of the world? You're right. Yes, Brett. Uh, kind of going back to your question five minutes ago, you know, uh, how do we yeah. way to work within the scriptures. Yes, yes. And your example that you gave of the church just coming down really hard. Yeah. You know, and coming out of a background that kind of, well, I did the same thing. A lot of believers have a tendency when confronted with the sinful nature of somebody is to take the scripture, go to the scripture immediately, and then start beating people over the head with the scripture. Yes, yes, yes. As I've learned later in life, you know, that's not the way God intended it to be. So we have the presence and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Our first reaction to something like that should be get on our knees, pray that the Spirit guide us and direct us, and how to deal with that specific situation. And, and it kind of gets controversial because a lot of people want to base their decisions, and rightfully so, on this work. Yes. But God may have a different direction and that it takes us in dealing with, and as the young lady said, well, go mercy and grace. Yes. That yes. Spirit, the Spirit can give us the mercy and grace and work through that situation in the way God wants. Technically, the woman caught in adultery, could she have been stoned to death? Technically? Yes. 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 I mean, they could have, well, the Bible says. But they didn't. Let me read this to you, and we'll have to stop because time's getting away. Paul writes in Romans 2, Do you suppose, O man, that when you pass judgment on those who practice such things, And then you do the same yourself? That you will escape the judgment of God? You have no excuse. Every one of you who passes judgment in that which you judge another, you condemn yourselves. Because you judge and yet you practice the same thing. It's kind of interesting to me that the person that just gets on their high horse, say about alcohol, it's just like it is the hill to die for, alcohol. That there's some point of uncontrol in their own lives. Does that make sense? Like if it's always about sexuality, that's always the issue. Romans 2 says, hey, 
Maybe you've got your own issues with sexuality. And you just like to put the spotlight on somebody else. If your issue is always with dysfunctional authority. My boss is just some messed up person. It's always the boss's fault. You have authority issues. Well, maybe because you're addicted to control. Does it make sense? So it's good if we're going to be in a position. Again, missional works. Purity works when we are spiritually and morally strong. And being missional, by the way, isn't just being open with your junk either, by the way. Mason. Galatians 6 speaks to this as well. Uh, 6.1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in, in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted too. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor's. For each will have to bear his own load. And so, in this I think there's, there's so much truth because it says, you who are spiritual should restore him. Um, and so, if I see a brother struggling in something that, hey, I also struggle in, maybe that's not my place to go and, and restore him because that's not my place of spiritual strength, but to find someone who is strong yes. in that area to go restore him. Yes. And then yes. it says to restore him in gentleness, uh, which, I mean, speaks in and of itself. Yeah. Um, and then at the end... There it talks about, and correct me if I'm reading this incorrectly, but for each will have to bear his own load, kind of calls each person to then to a state of righteousness and says, okay, we're going to approach you with gentleness because we love you, we're going to love you like the Lord loves you, but yet after we approach you with this, we're going to call you to a level of purity. Uh, and I think it's very easy for us as Christians to do one side of that or the other. To come to them in gentleness and say, it's okay, it's fine, it's all right. And then they continue in that saying, it's fine, it's all right. Continue in that saying, it's fine, it's all right. Uh, and never call them to a level of purity. Or it's easy for us to come the other way and say, no, you need to be stronger in this. So get your stuff together. Yeah. But forget the gentleness. Yeah. yeah. That's so good. Let's do this. I want you to, to uh, bow your heads, close your eyes. Can we do that? I want you to, uh, to do some, some pretty deep soul searching right now, okay? Try to close out all the distractions. This is what I want you to do. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, is He calling you to purity? Then what do you need to deal with? What do you need to lay on the altar? If he's calling you to be missional, help him to reveal, reveal a name, a face, someone you know the Spirit of God is calling you to so that you're going to talk to them about Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. And third, is there someone you know he wants you to protect? 